This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command on a Monday. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, and with us is Nikki Jabala from the Washington Post. Of course, Commander's Beat reporter. Covered the NFL for a long time. Does an incredible job. I was out in Denver for a while and and has been uh, blessing us with her reporting and writing these last couple of years in Washington, including, Nikki, your most recent piece on Taylor Heineke and uh, his obsession with Legos, which I know you were very excited doing. And I'm not going to lie, though, it was a little misleading, the headline. There was a lot more football than there was Legos, and I was a little disappointed yep. by that. Yeah. I Well, the original idea was to sit down with him and do Legos, because if there's anything that people want, it's watching me do Legos. So we kind of <laughs> changed course on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to, I got to mix Legos and football in one story. What could be better? So, so how did you find out that he was like obsessed with Legos? He, he posted some stuff on Instagram. It was during the off season. He builds these monstrous Lego sets that have like 5,000, 7,000 pieces. So I used to do that as a kid. So it, you know, kind of hits home for me. Was there any crossover, any of the ones that you did as a kid that he had, he had built? No, he builds the top of the top. I was more of the middle tier, mainly because the top of the top, they're like $900. They're very expensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom wasn't going for that. When is I this like, this is like the, uh, the like Millennium Falcon, like the Death Star, those ones you go to the Lego store and it's like, you know, the rest of your life is dedicated to building this item? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad Taylor's spending his time, his off-seasons like that. Yeah. Out of the, out of the streets and <laughs> dial into the Legos. Yeah. Yeah, well, as Nikki uh, chronicled, he also did a lot of football study. And actually, you know, the main thing we'll talk about here in at least this first part of the podcast is Carson and, and some of the struggles that have become kind of the highlight of camp and how much of this is temporary, how much of this could be permanent and, and what that means either way. But reading your story about Taylor also kind of got me thinking because you talked in the piece about how he has tried to clean up some of the holes in his game he's, he's worked with different uh quarterback coach now who, who is refining his technique and obviously changed up his weight training and things like that to ultimately try and increase his quote-unquote arm strength as we call it it's a very silly term most of the power comes from the lower half but yet we call it arm strength uh get more zip on the ball all that kind of stuff and in a way that's also kind of what carson needs to do is refine you know his skill set for him it's accuracy not power but how much do you think that, and, and really I'm curious, Nikki, of your career as a reporter and Logan, uh, your experience as a player, like 
how much can a player in their late 20s to early 30s, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Carson, really change at this point in, in their careers? Because for Washington this year, Carson's ability to adapt is kind of the key to the whole season. I mean, I, I think it depends on the player, first of all. I think the interesting thing about you know, the, the comparisons between Carson and Taylor is they both worked with the same trainer. Um, so, I mean, they're different quarterbacks, different size, different everything. Um, and I think you do have to remember that, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in camp is, and not to become like, you know, an apologist for anybody, but, you know, what we see is, is not always Carson's fault. It could be the receiver running the wrong route or breaking too early, breaking too late, or they're clearly both off, but it might be on the receiver instead of Carson for why, you know, a pass is three feet over the head of a tight end. Um, so there is that. But, yeah, he has been wildly inconsistent even with that. Um, you know, it's come up in every post-practice presser, um, you know, just to see if there's concern. Of course, Ron Rivera is going to say he's not concerned. Um, this is a, you know, $28 million quarterback that they're banking on to kind of salvage their season and, and honestly salvage the, you know, the, the tenure of the coaching staff. I mean, year three is when you really got to step up. How does he compare, Nikki, to other quarterbacks you've covered and in terms of offseason? Because, you know, in my estimation, uh, it's been more, like, inconsistent than, like, positive, and I think that's something that is, like, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but a little bit of a red flag, at, you know, leading right. into the first preseason game. Well, <laughs> the ones I've covered, it's been interesting. It's kind of been similar to Washington <laughs> and the number of quarterbacks that I've cycled through. Um, so I got Peyton Manning in 14 when he still looked like Peyton Manning, just killing it. And how were those practices? I'm sure they were very efficient. <laughs> Incredibly. Like, right. when Putin and Kubiak are running it, oh, my God, there is no standing around. Um, and I'm, so I think it's important for fans to understand that, like, when you cover, like, really good players, you know, like I played with Matt Ryan for a little bit, played with Deshaun Watson, whatever you want to say about him as a person, like as a football player, like, there's a standard that those high guys operate at. I just yeah. wanted to make sure people heard that. Yeah. Yeah, no, Peyton – you mess up. I mean, there's kind of this theory that I won't say the receiver's name, but he became familiar here. Um, Pey Peyton broke a couple guys. Like yeah. he is, he is maniacal about practice and every little detail. And if you don't do it right, it becomes kind of like the SNL skit he was in, you know, where he's <laughs> people. So now he's he's serious. And then you know, Coach Kubiak with him, it was a yeah. Those those were efficient practices. Um, so, I mean, after Super Bowl 50, it was a nice little cycle of kind of the same quarterbacks. I shouldn't say the same, but, like, a lot of them were younger, um, didn't have a ton of experience. So I had um, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch. Um, who else? Um, were you there with Locke at all, or was that after you? I was there with Locke. Um, Teddy, maybe? Like the Teddy... Teddy, Teddy might have been after me. Yeah, because he was what, last year. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I think maybe that's a good comparison. Like, how does Carson's practices compare to Flacco's practices? Um, I mean, Flacco's pretty intense. He's not going to, he's never going to be that, you know, rah, rah, high five and everybody, but nor right. is, neither is Wentz. So um, they're pretty similar in demeanor, I'd say. Um, but I, you know, honestly, I haven't been around a super intense quarterback aside from Peyton. Um, 
Even Brock it's, Osweiler. Is a little just, California yeah, chill. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I was, I'm asking more about like the efficiency of their throws and their completion percentages and practices. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of what I'm trying to get a beat on here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the ones I had been around were very inconsistent. Mm. Peyton, Peyton was always pretty consistent. He always had mm. the wobbly ball though, um, <laughs> but he, he 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 got it done. Yeah. Um, so there's a big difference. Yeah, I mean, the thing, so Logan, I'll ask you here, like, you have access to the tape, and and you know the offense at a really high level, and can, you know, maybe in a way that's different, you know, because one, you know, even if, you know, I was out there on whatever, Friday, like, it's hard to tell in real time. So you kind of need the tape to be able to go back and evaluate. So even if you know the offense, unless you're like really keened in on like, okay, receiver starting at the 15, seven yard route, did he break at the 22? Like, unless you are locked in on that on every single route, it's really hard. It's something that's pretty easy to watch on tape. So when you go back, like how much of this, in your opinion, is Carson trying to figure out some of the stuff that Ron's talking about with the speed of everything with a guy like, you know, Curtis Samuel who runs a 4-3-1, uh, 40. Like how much of it is that versus some of the inconsistent mechanics that have plagued him basically since his knee injury in that what was it, the 2017 yeah. season yeah 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 I mean I think the interesting thing about Carson that really sticks out to me is that he's you know like his OTA period was very very good and then he kind of had this wildly inconsistent like probably 10 day stretch of practice and I think you know we've talked about the rush we've talked about all that stuff and I, you mentioned the lower half in terms of throwing a football and I think there's a guy who is just not uber consistent with his footwork you know he's never kind of shifting his feet and even if the receiver is off even if the timing is off which is an entirely viable thing that's what training camps for it's to work and cultivate timing um he he can there's things that he can improve on you know and i think that's something that was kind of nice to see in the saturday scrimmage at the stadium was that he was very dialed in in terms of his fundamentals and like that is like high-end carson wentz but the reason you get like that and then you get low-end stuff is because his footwork is just not the same. Like I, like Peyton Manning, we've talked about him a little bit. One of the things you could set your watch by with Peyton is how consistent his footwork is, right? And it's not it's not by chance that those guys are consistent. It's not by chance that Tom Brady, Drew Brees are very consistent passers. They have excellent footwork, and so um, I understand that Ron's kind of um, you know gone to bat for him and said, hey, you know, like there's things with the receivers. We read things differently in this offense. That's all true, and it does affect your footwork because you're not used to kind of working your feet in that specific way. But I definitely think it's something that um, that can be developed and improved. And and I'm reluctant to say that he's going to do that because in my experience, guys don't fix that kind of stuff. Like you kind of are who you are at this point in your career. And maybe Nikki has different experience. I don't know. No, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I, I always think back to that. Um, was it the 30 for 30 on Peyton and Eli and how they went back and they went back to Duke and they had a receiver mm-hmm. camp with um, both the Giants and, you know, Broncos receivers. And Peyton and Eli are sitting in there like dissecting their footwork and they're on the field dissecting their footwork and this was like year 15 for Peyton so I mean it's it's all the little work behind the scenes that you know really makes it I think yeah when Peyton does the film study stuff for ESPN plus like you know he'll pull out the old footage of himself I mean his footwork on handoffs was meticulous like he would go back and watch it on that nevertheless when he's actually in the passing game um so that that level of detail is what matters 
And a quick point, like Peyton's footwork is unconventional. Like it's like that hopping demeanor in the pocket is not something you normally see, but it is something that he was consistent with, right? So like if Carson Wentz was like all over the map, but it was like the same all over the map every single time, like then you say, okay, at least he's got something going on here. It's the fact that every throw, his foot position is slightly different. His weight is slightly different within the context of the foot. Like, you know this, Craig, like when you're squatting, you kind of want to get a full foot on the ground. And the same thing when you're throwing a football. You don't want to be too toesy because you have a lot of variation in terms of how bouncy you are. So, again, like, you know, it's not that he doesn't look pretty or anything like that. It's just like the fundamentals of how his foot is interacting with the ground is a little up in the air. Well, and also the thing with him is he throws from so many different arm angles and it's so often seen as a positive and there's inconsistency with his arm slot too. Like just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that's part of the issue with Carson is that he's capable of basically anything like short of some of the Mahomes crazy stuff. Like it's where it's like Mahomes and Rogers and and nobody else can do it. Um, But just because you can doesn't mean you should. And whether it's, you know, some of the the stuff late last year where he throws like the left-handed flick interception late in the year, one of those games, or just the inconsistency with, with, okay, I I can throw off-platform. Okay, but you have a clean pocket, so don't. Like, drive the ball and and do the things you're supposed to. And also, same thing with the arm slot. And and that's just another variable where, Logan, you're talking about not every two throws look the same. Like, upper and lower half were – you know, it's literally double the the possible outcomes, and some of those are good, and some of those are uh, not not great. There's almost a little bit of rookieism to him. You know, he's just so up and down. Like his his he'll throw from one spot, he'll throw from another spot, and he'll just make these mistakes in game that you're like, you really been playing this long? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't add up. Which is to me very very strange because he's like so smart i mean wasn't he valedictorian or something i mean i think he's got like he's got like a photographic memory or something you know that's like hearsay and like i don't know if he's ever been like diagnosed with that but obviously a very very bright guy nikki like if if carson can't figure it out like Mm -hmm. what what is the status of this organization yeah i mean to me they're back to the same place they always were i mean he's got in my opinion, a one-year tryout here. I mean, there's no more guaranteed money after this season. They could cut him and not have any dead money on their books. They would also have no quarterback on their books. Um, and they're kind of back to where they were this offseason and scrambling trying to find a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that do you think Ron is still here if Carson is doesn't go? That's a good question, and I keep going back and forth on this. I mean, I... You know, I don't know whose decision it is on Ron. I mean, obviously Dan Snyder, but with all the turmoil this organization has undergone in the last last few years especially, but really over the last 20 years, you know, would the league have anything to say about that? Um, you know, if you, if, if you can't make it work with Ron Rivera, who is supposed to be kind of this culture fig, uh, fixer, then who's, who's going to come in and fix this? So I don't know. I... I could see if it's a third losing season, yeah, then you got to make a change. But at the same time, who? Right. You know? Well, so that's, that's kind of an interesting, like, sidebar. And, you know, I, I, I feel a little silly going down this rabbit hole on August 8th. Um, but, you know, we're here, so we might as well explore the space. Is like, on one hand, uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch uh, had an exclusive yesterday where he got his hands and the Times-Dispatch got their hands on the report or the second report 
following the Wilkinson investigation and like kind of the culture side of the organization. And the report ultimately is is pretty good. Some of Jason Wright's comments, I think, were interesting. But we, we don't need to go like all the way down that hole. But for the purposes of this, I bring that up merely to say like on the culture side, Ron has built a diverse, inclusive, you know, good feeling organization. But that doesn't directly lead to wins. And like there's two different standards being evaluated here. One is like Ron Rivera, human being, where he passes with flying colors by all accounts because he seems to be a really good person. But also, if you look at his record in Carolina, he had three winning seasons and winning football games has not been something that he's consistently done on his resume. So when you talk about like where would they go if the goal is to maintain like a dignified organization you're not going to do much better than Rivera even if sometimes the podium he drives me bonkers but from a winning standpoint like could you do better theoretically yes but then you get into like who would actually want to work here I know there's only 32 jobs but like that's when you get into some of the Dan stuff and like who would actually sign up to be the coach of this organization, depending on what happens with Congress and the Mary Jo White report and all this other stuff that's just kind of circling. Right. That and I want to go back to the report because that vestry light report is paid for by the team. So it's yep, basically the team saying, look, we we're doing great. Just ask us, you know, <laughs> so it's not totally transparent. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think they want to pump themselves up quite a bit and they have made a number of changes, but to say like, you know, all the media attention is clouding all the good, great things we've done. I mean, right. Come on. Um, (laughs) and the truth is of the matter is, you know, fans don't care about your marketing and operations. They want to see you win. Um, so, and until that happens, I think everybody's going to be on kind of a hot seat, um, because that's ultimately going to determine, you know, the, the future of everybody. If you don't win, you don't sell tickets, you don't make money. And we know at some point you've got to make money. So. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. I'll pull us out of this rabbit hole a little bit just merely to ask, like, is it too early to be having these concerns? Because on one hand, it is August 8th and we're, what, 10, 12 days into training camp and like, hey, we haven't even played the first preseason game. Relax. But Carson Wentz being inaccurate is not new. Like, that's what he was. He's, according to Warren Sharp statistics, the least accurate quarterback in the league the last two years. We just mentioned Rivera's record in Carolina and we've seen, you know, even when they won the division two years ago, it was with a losing record. So, you know, is it 
you know, we ask these questions like, is it too early to panic? And I don't think we really actually give that the depth of conversation that it deserves. So if we dive into that a little bit, like, is this actually a continuation of, of valid concerns that have been building or are, is this overreaction to a fairly small sample size of, even if we include mini camp and OTAs, uh, not even the first preseason game yet. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's still kind of early. Um, now, if they go 0-4 to start, we can have a different conversation. But as of now, I'd say it's too early. It's it's too early to tell which way this team is going to go. I mean, you know, right now they're still throwing against air when they're throwing to receivers. Who knows what it's going to look like when they, you know, start throwing against somebody else. I mean, Saturday is really the first test, and that's a preseason game. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's too early, but... It could change quickly, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, like in terms of concerns I've had about the team, I think the thing that's kind of stood out to me the most is the Carson Wentz's production has slowly moved up my list, and now it's in like that 1A kind of area. And I think one of the reasons for that is because like he goes, like the team goes as he goes, right? So if he is not performing at a, you know, like top, 20 type level as a quarterback in the NFL, then that's going to be pretty, uh, pretty hindering in terms of what this team can do. So I look at like, you know, there was a lot of like things that I thought would change Carson, right? Receivers that could get open, um, which he's kind of his chemistry with that group has not been where I thought it would be at this point. Uh, Scott's ability to kind of get the most out of him, and he doesn't really seem to be doing that. Obviously, we talked about some of the things Scott's done over the last couple of weeks to improve that, but Carson's holding the ball a lot. Like, he's got a proclivity for that, so let's find ways to get the ball out of his hands. So, again, I think Nikki's right. It might be a little bit too early, but in terms of things that are, are kind of that are that are heating up in terms of my concern, like, that's definitely one of them because – I need to see it. Like, as a talent evaluator, as someone who watches a lot of football, you need to see it at some point. Now, Saturday was a really nice data point, but talk about overreacting to one thing. That's one thing in a span of, like, 15 days. You know, so, like, I want to see him stack multiple days together. And then they come out today, and, the, and granted, the whole offense was looking very, very sluggish. It's like their sixth consecutive day of practice. Like, it, it makes perfect sense they didn't look great. But I don't think they completed a ball till like, the last period of practice. So, like, obviously, like, things are concerning. Um, you know, and then, you know, we've talked about how good the defenses look, but I think that all kind of circles around Carson and all of these what ifs we had early in the offseason about, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? And unfortunately, at least to my eye, maybe Nikki disagrees, like none of those what ifs have really turned the corner yet or really come to fruition. And that's something that, again, kind of makes you go, oh, no, like what's going on here as, <laughs> yeah. as a fan of the team, right? Right. No, I agree with you completely. I mean, there's there's still the same questions that there were when he came in. Um, yeah. He still kind of looks like the same guy from Indy <laughs> and late in Philly, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll so see Terry's well. role in this is an interesting one, and I feel like, and Logan, we, we are guilty of this, so I will raise, raise my hand on our behalf. Like We're like, ah, Terry will be fine, right? Like It doesn't really matter that he missed anything. Uh, he's such a professional. He's, he's a vet at this point, a young vet, but a vet. Like he, he and Carson be fine, and then hey, all right, he went down and they had Camp Carson out in California, and and that was enough to kind of make up for a lot of the OTA period. He and Carson have not been on the same page at all, and we're seeing routes on air that they're not on the same page. Um, and and we got incompletions against you know forget their own guys, we got incompletions against nobody. So, how concerned should we be about? 
I want to say Terry, but like the Terry Carson connection and how, you know, is that the kind of thing that can click and all of a sudden with enough reps under the belt, it will be fine? Or is it something that is going to be a gradual progression over time, assuming that it does eventually get better? Logan would know better than me how quickly that connection can build with a quarterback, but I... I mean, Nikki, you've seen about 10 quarterbacks do it, so you probably got some good insight on it, so... <laughs> I mean, that's why I always ask guys, you know, how, how quickly or is there a point where you know where you kind of have that connection where it kind of clicks? And, I, you know, you always kind of get the same answer of, you know, it's a process, it, you know, we're just working through it. And I think, I mean, it sounds like that would be true. I mean... It is weird to me to see that disconnect between Terry and anybody because he's always seemed to adapt. Um, to his credit, this is, what, nine starters? So it's got to become incredibly difficult after a while. Um, you know, you're always adjusting every single off season. It feels usually in season, too. So, um, you know, it's, it's slightly concerning to me, but because it is Terry, I do have a little bit more confidence that the they'll figure it out um but i would i would imagine it'd be pretty frustrating on his end well also i think like you know kendall fuller deserves a lot of credit for that you know like the a little bit of the timing issues like in team period like kendall fuller is uh i mean really the whole back end of the defense has just done a great job and i think uh they just seem to kendall specifically seems to just kind of understand and it makes sense because they've played against each other a lot understand you know, uh, what I call like Terry's indicators, like when he's making his breaks and then, and, and it allows Kendall to kind of anticipate stuff. And, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast, like Terry is not like the most nuanced route runner. Like he's a good route runner, but he's not adding like little tricks and false indicators and different stems. Like he's like, I'm running straight very fast. I'm going to throw my feet down hard and get out of this cut. And like for DBs, especially experienced ones and savvy ones like Kendall, like it, it kind of plays right into what they do really well. So as much as the chemistry thing's been a little bit concerning, I do think Kendall, you know, William Jackson III, those guys, they deserve a lot of credit because I think they've played against Terry enough to kind of understand what makes him tick. And um, and it's going to make that kind of show up a little bit more challenging, I think, in terms of their chemistry. But Nikki, is there anything you are excited about from training camp? Any, anybody, any player, any position, any anything? I think the secondary looks really good. Um you know, I know they're not game planning or anything, but I, just the communication within that group looks pretty good. And that's been an issue for at least a couple of years now is just, you know, the talking between everybody on the field, making sure everybody's on the same page. But they look pretty solid to me, even the young guys. Um, I think Cam Curl's going to have an absolute monster year. He's just a really good player. Um, and I like some of the things they're doing back there. I mean, I... Del Rio is known for having, you know, five wide on the line for a long time. Um, mm. But it looks like they're mixing and matching some. So I, I, I like that group. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that awesome defensive group. backfield was, was probably, I mean, I came out of or entered training camp with that being my biggest concern considering how poor the spring was for William Jackson third. And he's really cleaned it up. Obviously, missed the last couple of days with a hamstring issue. Um, but I also asked both of you, um, have been out there more than, than me, my one day, my triumphant Friday appearance at, uh, at Commander's Camp. Um, have any other depth players emerged at that position? Because that was the other thing with, with corners specifically was 
who are the next guys? Like a fourth corner is going to play, and we didn't really even know who that was going to be. Christian Holmes had a, had a pretty decent spring, but who who are some of the players in that defensive backfield who have emerged to not only uh, you know where we feel good about the starters all of a sudden, but that has solidified uh, I would say deeper feelings about that position. Yeah, I mean I I really like Christian Holmes. I mean he's got a ways to go, but I still think he could be a really good player. Um, Corn Elder has actually looked pretty good out there. Um, he's had a number of big plays. Um, I would also not rule out the newest one, Devontae Bosby. I remember covering him in, in Denver, and he's yeah. skinny as heck, but he's he's a really solid player, and he's been around. So you know he can quickly adjust a system. So um, he's a guy I'm, I'm really curious to see if he can latch on because I think he can be a good player. Yeah, I played with Bosby in Chicago when he was a rookie, I think. And, uh, you know, again, like kind of a guy who's got like a very unique skill set, height, weight. And I would agree with the other two guys you mentioned. I think Holmes and Early have done an outstanding job and they make plays. And they're just kind of like, you know, like the varsities, those top four guys, plus Benjamin St. Juice. And then those guys are very, very close in pursuit. And that's what you want. You want a little bit of a distinction, but not much in terms of depth. And so I totally agree. Those two guys in the back end have just done an excellent job. Offensively, Nikki, is there anybody that sticks out to you? Um, well, before he got hurt, um, Cole Turner. I, th- I think he looks like a solid player. Um, you know, hopefully he can make it back soon. But, I mean, he's got the height. He's got the catch radius. I think he, he could be really interesting. Um, I really like Brian Robinson too. He's mm. just a big dude, a big dude back there. And I, you know, his running style is fun to watch. Um, you know, he's, he can power through the line, but he's also got a good, a good amount of speed too. So I'd say those two. Yeah. And if, uh, Antonio Gibson can't hold on to the ball, uh, he's going to get more run, which yeah. has yeah. continued to be an Brian issue, Robinson. including, a. A fumble on Friday. Uh, Nikki, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this was great. We will certainly have you back. Uh, and we look forward. Uh, we, know that, uh, we, we know that you have a piece coming on Joey Sly. And anytime someone takes the time to write a kicker piece, you know I it's going to be good. <laughs> I love specialist stories. <laughs> so I guess, does that mean eventually we'll get like a Cameron Cheeseman, a Tress Way? Is, is this the first of three this year? Oh. Yeah, yeah. At I least. Mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. The world needs a Tressway story. I mean, I mean the world the needs Mr. many Tressway stories. Yes, he's an American treasure. Um, you, know? you haven't had the chance since you've been here to like be in the locker room because of COVID the last couple of years, and right. so the the, yeah. the everything's been on Zoom. So, have you gotten a chance to experience Tressway trivia yet? No, I've just heard many things about it, and it sounds incredibly epic. I can't wait. <laughs> It is. All of a sudden, you just be walking around the locker room sometime in like mid-October, and Tress is like, all right, guys, huddle up. And you're like, all right, let's go. What, what mind-bender are we going to get today? Uh, you know, on the list of things I missed from the beat. That's, that's firmly on it. Uh, yeah. Nikki Javala, Washington Post, with us on Take Command. Uh, of course, you can read her stuff in the Washington Post if they throw it at your, your door in the morning or at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Nikki, thanks so much for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Finishing up here on Take Command, thanks again to Nikki Jabala for joining us from the Washington Post. Uh, Curtis Samuel back on the field today, Logan, and that's obviously a very positive sign. He was on the side field on Friday uh, and didn't participate in the uh, you know the most of Saturday's practice out at FedEx Field. So, what is it like? Where are you at with him? Basically, is I guess what I want to ask. Like between your uh, football playing career and and expertise and your strength and conditioning expertise, uh, how much are you buying what they're selling with Curtis Samuel? And where are you at on? what he's doing at this stage of the game yeah so let's just talk about Saturday's practice real quick because that's been like the most dynamic he's looked since uh OTAs I want to say so first off like you know he's fast everyone talks about how fast he is he runs a 4-3-1 whatever but seeing him on the field and seeing what that speed does to a defense you're just like dang you know like uh he was matched up in the slot against Benjamin St. Just and Benjamin St. Juice has been kind of giving uh, Jahan a tough time when he's in the slot, and Curtis gets out there and he's just so explosive. Like he just, I don't, he just kind of blew past Benjamin St. Juice, you know, in a way that is, uh, you know, unique to probably only him in terms of guys that can do that on the roster. And it's not like he's got Terry's kind of linear speed. He's got that powerful start. He can kind of get in and out of cuts really explosively, throw his feet down in a nice way. And I just thought like maybe I was undervaluing his skill set. You know what I mean? Just because he hasn't played in a while and like what it did for the offense in terms of just creating awesome matchups you know you've got in on this specific play like Jahan's on the right side by himself um Curtis is in the slot to the left and Terry's out wide to the left and to see Curtis just blow by that dude Jahan work his route running savvy on the other guy on the outside on early on the outside with his like kind of false stem and blow by him like it was just like I'm like man you've got all these weapons here and um, and then for him to score a touchdown and kind of see that timing element with Carson was great. And the amount of separation he's able to create, because I think that's another thing that he's really good at. So um, I, I'm i more excited now after seeing him practice a little bit. He hasn't really practiced in training camp. And so seeing that yesterday, seeing him out there again today, is, is I think it's positive. Um, you know, obviously I'm concerned from like a strength and conditioning standpoint that the injury is still even like we're even talking about it, quite frankly. You know, it's right. been... 12 months so you know you'd like to think that this thing would have cleared up and he should be fine I understand giving guys rest days but usually rest days are like oh hey you're doing indie today you're doing four reps of team and then you're done for the day so you're still practicing but you're not uh you know like kind of grinding through practice the way everybody else is so with him uh the fact that he's getting complete days off on the side field and he looks good on the side field running routes like so that's fine but it is something that um is is slightly concerning, you know, and I'm going to watch that very, very closely anytime he misses, anytime, whatever, but at least this is the first day in a long time that he's been able to stack a couple days in a row. And I think that's, um, that's pretty important. Yeah, definitely. Um, tight end is obviously an important position for this team. We we've spent almost an undue amount of time on it. Uh, but there's been a lot to talk about. And unfortunately that's continued, uh, in, in ways that are bad, but it's also created some more good, uh, Cole, uh, Cole Turner and Curtis yeah. Hodges. Almost got my, my guys back backwards there. Yeah. Uh, but Turner and Hodges, that's a way to keep it simple and straight. Uh, those guys both out with injuries today, which leaves more room for Armani Rodgers to step up. And uh, what does he do? Steps up, looks great. Like, what what kind of competition are we talking about? It seems like Cole Turner's got the lead as long as he's healthy and, and is good. And, you know, Bates obviously getting back in the mix today. 
uh, his spot's pretty safe. And then we'll see with Logan Thomas coming off of Pup eventually. But it seems like they've just got a ton of options at tight end, and all of them could be legitimate potential NFL players. Yeah, I think that's the crazy thing about it is because, like, you know, first, like, you know, Cole gets hurt, then Curtis steps up. And in the game on Saturday, he had two balls thrown to him. And he's running – he's 6'8", man. And, like, to see him kind of break down and do that crossover shimmy that, like, Jordan used to do on, like, a vertical seam route and get Cam Curl out of position. And, like, the ball was a little late, so Cam Curl made an excellent defensive play to knock it down. So props to Cam Curl. He doesn't need any more props. But to see a guy who's 6'8", do that, I just, like – holy cow and then he did it later on a seam in practice and he the ball wasn't thrown in but you're like that guy is a mismatch weapon if and he's so young and he's blocking his face off and then you find out that he pulls his hamstring so armani gets more reps and armani has been making some noise in practice the last couple of days he's he's pretty physical in line he's technically not very sound obviously he played quarterback but like he's very very physical right he's got a guy in the room in logan thomas who's made the same kind of switch and Again, a guy who's very, very raw. His route running's raw. His blocking's raw. But he's he runs like a 4.5 or something like that. Like a low 4.5 for a man who's 6.5, 230 pounds. He looks like a receiver at times out there in terms of just taking the top off and adding some juice to the uh, offense. And he's come up and just answered the bell. And so from a, from a battle that I thought, oh, it's, it's Bates, it's probably Cole, maybe Curtis squeaks in there. Now it's like, is it Curtis? Is it is it Samis? Is it... Um, is it our money? Like that's what it yeah. becomes now. And I think that's the thing that's like so absolutely mind bending at the position. Like I've never in 10 years, I've talked to a whole bunch of people. I've never seen or heard of any position group that's this deep, you know, and it's not like they're all going to come out and be starters day one, but like to have that kind of talent pool and for two undrafted guys and a guy you got in the fifth round, like someone up in the front office there knows what they're looking for when they're looking for tight ends and guys that fit this offense. And you mentioned Bates. Like, we got to talk about Bates just for one second. Like, today's his yeah. first day back. I saw him put his hands on Montez Sweat and, like, throw him to the ground like he was a rag doll. And there are, there's maybe one tight end in the NFL who can do that, and he's on the commander's roster. And so, like, that dude's skill set, he's probably the best blocking tight end in the NFL, and he's also got some nice route-running nuance to him. So, like, I just look at this room, I'm like, holy cow, man. And they're all young dudes who can play football. So again, if there's a bright spot, it's the depth of that position. So two things. One, uh, cause Montez was chirping last week. How dare you put a tight end on me? What was the reaction of the offense when, uh, all of a sudden there was a tight end on, on Montez and things went a little bit differently. Yeah. I, you know, it's cause I'm watching it. I'm watching the film, you know, like, cause I don't watch practice cause I'm doing the show, but I would imagine Montez felt some type of way about that. Cause it was very aggressive. You know what I mean? Like it was like, Hands like Bates inside. had been waiting for a couple weeks. Yeah, Bates or got his hands inside. Bates got his hand inside. Excellent hand placement on the outside number. And Montez could I could see him thinking about peeling back inside. And Bates just gave him a nice pull with the left, push with the right, and and Montez's base just went completely because he couldn't handle it from the trunk standpoint. And uh, he fell on the ground. And I just was like, that is. There's one dude playing tight end in the NFL who can do that to that guy, and he's on this team. And so that's again like props to Bates. Like he's been yeah. on the he's been on the sideline for a long time with his calf injury, and now he's back. So, I mean, again, like I'm biased, but I'm trying to tell everyone that's listening that this is not a usual situation to have. I mean, really, five young players: Bates, Samis, Hodges, Turner, Armani, all together on the roster, and then have one of the maybe top ten, top fifteen guy in Logan Thomas when he's healthy. Like that's a very unique situation. So, who makes the roster? Who goes to practice squad? I don't know. 
Yeah, well, you know, then you talked about like they know what they're looking at at tight end. Like they have a type, and that was the thing that stood out to me on Friday being there. I was just like, these guys are huge. Like Rogers is enormous, and he's the smallest of the three that I was right. watching. You know, yeah. with Cole Turner and and Curtis Hodges, like they are long, they are lean, they are strength. You know, powerful. They, they look like move, a basketball like, team. They look like they a really team. do. I mean, that's exact. They look like a bunch of small forwards. It's wild to watch them be out there, and like especially when they're on in their their individual drills, because yeah. it's like, okay, that position group, that whoa, who are those yeah, monsters? Yeah. Like what? What? Like if you knew nothing about football and you just came to practice <laughs> and you want to start watching like one group, like that's the group you'd be drawn to because they're so freaking enormous. Yeah, it, it's crazy, and like. And so it'll be interesting. This preseason, like, the battle was interesting for the top three. Now it's who gets left out, who makes it the practice squad. Because, like, if I was a team, and, again, they don't have access to the information we have access to, but, like, I'm taking wh- whoever they whoever they put down, I'm going to take a really hard look at and try to get them on my team. Yeah. But because they don't have that information, and we'll try not to overpublish this part of the podcast, <laughs> uh, give them that information. Not that they take our word necessarily. Oh, they might. They might take yours. You, you kind of played ten years in the league at uh, that position. Uh, but you know, because they were undrafted or fifth rounder, like the fifth rounder seems like you probably got to get him on the roster. But the undrafted right. guys were undrafted, so whatever the reason they didn't make it in the first place, you can probably sneak them on. But right. where people do have that information is pregame or uh, preseason yeah. and so if if all of a sudden a couple of these guys go out and go nuts in the preseason that that's when it gets harder to stash someone yeah and i th- it, and so in some ways it's good that you got cole turner maybe not going to play a ton you got uh, curtis hodges maybe not going to play a ton because the hamstring um and the crazy thing it's not like they're doing this against the backups like they're starting and you know armani's right. starting this week with the ones and so Again, just a very impressive group, and uh, you know, I, I know I'm biased because I played the position, but man, like that is that's a pretty pretty special group, you know. Yeah. Speaking of preseason, let's wrap up with the mailbag Monday question from Ethan, and we'll spend a lot more time. We today was a very offensive heavy podcast. We'll do a lot more on the yeah, defense sorry. on Thursday. Um, but this was a great question. Uh, Ethan on Instagram hit me and said. I was wondering how the game week prep going into a preseason game differs from a regular season game. And I thought that was a good question. Um, and I also, you know, talked about this, or we've been talking a lot about where the game plan situation is in general with this team right now. Like how much are they working on us, so to speak, uh, versus trying to game plan uh, for the other side of the ball. And I talked about that on Friday with Chris Harris after practice. And he said, right now we're pretty much just working on us. And like, you know, if a situation comes up in film study where we didn't have the, the, the right thing in, maybe we'll mention it. It's a good teaching opportunity and say, Hey, we'll get to that later. Here's how we might handle it and introduce it. But largely we're just working on us right now. So from a, a preparation standpoint and from, you know, kind of that game plan standpoint, how are, how is, how are things different preseason versus regular season? And also, what does it mean not to game plan? Because I think that, that concept in itself is also confusing for people. All right, so you've asked a whole bunch of questions there. And, you know, I have. If we had an hour, let's start, maybe let's start with that. Let's, let's start with, <laughs> okay. like, game what's planning. the difference in game planning versus not? Like, at the end of the day, you're running plays. Like, what does it mean to, quote-unquote, have a game plan versus – we're working on us. Yeah. So, okay. So usually 
if you do not have a game plan, you're just installing plays. And usually when you install plays, you start at kind of like the most fundamental formation, most fundamental concept, and then you stack those concepts and you stack those formations throughout training camp. So the simplest day is day one, maybe day two, and then the hardest day is probably like your 10th day, 9th day, however many installs you have. Like Kyle would have, I think, 11 installs, and I think they do like nine here, so a little bit different. But obviously, like, that's just like going to school. You're going to class. Like, we start with the letter A, we go to letter B, and then by the end of the week, we've got 26 letters in, and we know how to turn them into words. Like, that's kind of installing. And so, when you're doing that, that's just the offense. When you're game planning, what you're doing is you're saying, this is what the defense does on first and second down. This is what they do on third down. This is what they do in the red zone in these specific categories. These are the plays from that alphabet that we want in to beat these coverages, to beat these blitzes, to beat this personnel, and you're very selective in terms of how you do that. And you end up with probably, you know, you have, I don't know, let's say 200 plays in that you've installed and variations with formations. On game day, you might have 70, right? Something like that. And so, again, it's it's very specific to the team, and the idea that you're not game planning for somebody is basically like going into a fight blind. So, like, just as an example, like, you might be installing your cover three beaters, on day four, right? So cover three, you got your three in the back, right? And the defense might be installing quarters. And so you would never run any of those cover three beaters versus quarters, but that's what's going on on that install day, and that's what the defense is running. And Because that's what our defense does. They don't run a lot of cover three. They're more middle field open type stuff. So you're going to have days like that. We had days like that with Kyle. So the fact you're going in not game planning, it puts you in these weird situations. So like let's say Scott Turner, for example, comes out and empty, and he, and he stacks all the skill guys to the left and the big skill to the right. Like, you don't have an adjustment for that in because you haven't game-planned, you haven't studied the opponent, you didn't know that was coming, so you just kind of got to make a decision on the fly. That's not how you want to play football, that's not how you want to play defense in the NFL. So that's kind of what's going on there, right? Now, that kind of leads very nicely into our second question, which is, what is the preseason and how do you kind of prep for these games? So, in a regular season, you have, you come in on Wednesday, you install kind of day one, in, like your your runs, your first and second down runs, your first and second down passes, your play passes, maybe a screen. And the defense kind of does first, second down, same thing. And then as you go through the week, it gets more complicated, more specific. In a preseason, you might not install at all. You might not install a second. You'll just be like, hey, we're running day one and day two install. And that's what we're doing today for this week. Because what the team is really thinking about is they're already installing for Jacksonville. They're watching Jacksonville tape from last year. They're kind of trying to anticipate what they're doing. They're setting up their first and second down stuff, and they're doing that now. So they don't really care about the Panthers. They want people to go out and have a good time in terms of knowing what to do, and the best way to do that is just to keep it simple. And they probably have some type of gentleman's agreement between the two head coaches saying, hey, we're not going to bring you know fire zones this week. So don't really worry about installing any protections that deal with fire zones. And then you can kind of dap each other up and say, great, because now we can evaluate our talent evenly, right? In the second preseason game, that's when you'll do a bigger install because it's like your dress week for the game. You'll, you'll kind of go through your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday install, or your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday install, and then the, the defense will kind of have a regular game plan. You'll be ready to go. But for this game against the Panthers, it's going to be a cake install. They'll probably have 50 plays in, maybe 45, and it'll be really, really straightforward. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, of course, that also means that there isn't such thing as a pregame uh, or a set way to get ready for a preseason game because it changes week to week. 
you know, sure. what, what you're looking for week one is different than week two, which is going to be different than week three, depending on starters, reserves, what you're trying to evaluate, who you're trying to get looks at. Because maybe you do a little bit of game planning, you know, if that, that third week and, you know, there's a position battle at tight end and you want to see the tight ends run similar plays, you might be like, all right, we're going to make sure that we get a look for Curtis Hodges doing this and also for Armani Rogers doing this. Like the, there are things you can manipulate within any specific game. You just have to make sure the team is ready to do it. And that's the extent of the, the pre-planning and game planning beforehand. And as Logan said, obviously once you get into the regular season, it is very based on your opponent. I don't, I don't know how much uh, looking at Jacksonville last year will help you though, because uh, urban, urban Myers, his staff. there. Uh, <laughs> so they're probably looking they, uh, at what they did in they're probably looking at uh, what, what uh, Peter, what Doug Peterson did in Philadelphia. Yeah. Like that's how you would prep. You'd start. Yep. Everyone says, well, how do you know? Like you're looking at what his offense was in Philly. You're looking at his personnel. You look at the OC, you're looking at the DC and their past history. Cause they're all new there. So you're not watching Jacksonville tape necessarily. You're watching Philadelphia tape. Yeah. You might watch some for personnel, but yeah. And then like yeah, Mike Caldwell right. is the defensive coordinator. So you watch, you watch Bucks tape cause he was under bowls there and, and some of the stuff that, that, that staff has done before all right uh that's it for this show thanks again to nikki for coming on we back on thursday i got a couple things we're working on uh also by the way ryan kerrigan update uh ryan got pulled into a meeting when we were going to record over the weekend so because he's coaching obviously yeah he's he's haven't made any kind of official announcement maybe we can get ryan to at least give us the scoop when that's going to happen like let let me come out of retirement for for 30 seconds and break some news come on kerrigan throw me a bone uh but we'll uh hopefully still catch up with ryan at some point but it's exciting to see him out there and uh kind of have that veteran presence that we thought would be super helpful for that room even if he's doing it while not having to put on the pads uh so we'll see you on thursday make sure you're subscribed uh if you haven't done that if you're just finding us for the first time through nikki's work uh we're here every monday and thursday just subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or in the always free odyssey app and we'll come to you at the very least twice per week for logan i'm craig we'll see you on thursday on taking